What's up, guys? It is Friday, September 24th, episode 178, and today I have Adrian Colodi, founder of Domination Finance. Other than talking about how they're dominating finance and how they're using uh, crypto dominance charts for their crypto products, we also talk about the early days of crypto and our experiences, the China ban on crypto again, and how that's trending in the news, and blockchain on mobile and that side and the future of it. So be sure to check it out. With that said, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain, Adrian Colodi, and domination finance. Enjoy. All right, Adrian, welcome to the Blockhash podcast live. How you doing, man? Pretty good. It's just a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Where are you from? Where are you based? So uh, I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I've kind of bounced back and forth between living in Chicago and the suburbs that surround it. Uh, currently, I reside in Glenview, but my office is in Chicago and I'm there all the time. Cool. Did you grow up in Chicago or just there for work or crypto? So uh, the first four years of my life, I was in Chicago. Then I had a stint in Buffalo Grove. After Buffalo Grove, it was Batavia, then Glenview, back to Chicago, and then back to Glenview. And then after this, I hopefully, you know, can get out of the U.S. and explore more of the world. Yeah, where do you want to go? Where do you want to explore? Um, I mostly want to go to Asia, actually. Um, I've already been to Italy, a few other places in Europe, uh, Israel, Tel Aviv, Yaffa, and Dubai. So I've never explored Asia at all, and that's the next place I want to set my foot in, honestly. A lot of good crypto people out there too, just what helps a lot. Yeah, I want to go to Singapore and I want to go to Japan. Uh, there's a lot of places in Asia that are just huge when it comes to crypto. South Korea, um, different world. Uh, I got to see it myself too. Oh, really? You've been there already? So No, no, no. I, I want to though. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. All right, I guess we're in the same boat then. Yeah, definitely in the same boat. Um, you know, from a work perspective, tell me a bit more about your, your background. Like, what did you do before this? Um, what got you into crypto? Mm -hmm. Um, what was kind of your, your way into this industry? Sure. Um, it's actually goes really far back to when I was about 12 or 13 years old. Uh, I first got introduced to crypto in 2011 and, uh, I was playing this online game called RuneScape. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Oh, you yeah. are awesome. Dope, dope, dope. So, uh, we had a merchant plan and, uh, one of my other co-founders, his name is Jordan. He's also my uh, half brother. We used to play this game together all the time. And uh, what we would do is we would just, you know, pump and dump the GE, as you know, the Grand Exchange. Mm -hmm. And one day I wanted to liquidate my this RuneScape gold into real life money because, I don't know, I wanted new things. I was a 12 year old. You know, you want a new graphics card, you want new soccer cleats or whatnot. So um, I was browsing around and all of my friends in the clan and everyone in the forum were just like, hey, you know, if Jagex catches you, you know, trying to liquidate via PayPal or traditional means, your account's going to get banned. And, you know, at this point, I already had three banned accounts. And this is my, like, you know, my, my combat account. I would do, like, God Wars Dungeon with this one and stuff. So I was like, okay, well, I definitely don't want to get my account banned. And being as naive as a 12-year-old is, I thought, you know, I need to find some way around this. So they all told me, they're like, hey, man, like, just... Uh, no, browse Bitcoin talk forum, went to 4chan slash G, the technology board first to confirm everyone. Uh, they said, yeah, go for it. And the rabbit hole started there. Uh, started reading a bit, 
talked to my brother about it and he was like, oh yeah, you know, like I, I've been aware of Bitcoin for a while now. I was, I've actually been starting to mine it. So him and I, his name's Jordan, like I mentioned, we kept bouncing ideas off each other about this and it was really cool. Uh, I did eventually liquidate uh, a lot of my GP into Bitcoin. The sad thing was, is uh, I was scammed four times before it happened because this was pre-Mount Gox and also pre-Coinbase uh, as well. So you either had to mine it, and if you couldn't mine it, you had to PayPal someone money and cross your fingers that they would send it back to you. So mm-hmm. I had four transactions where I got scammed and like it happens, you're 12, right? Eventually I got my first set of BTC and uh, yeah, I just kind of kept kicking from there. Past that, uh, I just kept paying attention to the market. You know, I was also there for the 2013 pump and the 2014 dump, which was caused by Mountain Gox. And uh, I started going to a few Ethereum meetups as well in 2016. Fast forward to 2017, it's uh, my second year of college. I was playing college soccer at my local community college called Oakton. And uh, I started showing my teammates some of this stuff too. And they also thought it fascinating. So on the team bus back home away from soccer matches, I was always like the, the crypto guy, right? Where they would go mm-hmm. to like, yo, like, how do you make a Coinbase or what do you buy? The usual stuff that normies heckle you about when uh, they get into it. And yeah, uh, past then, uh, I left university because I just was really tired of the garbage I was being fed. Um, worked for a crypto real estate fund that is not on today as ABC FinTech. Uh, left that pretty early because I wasn't really jiving so much with the security space because they are a securities token project. And then, uh, yeah, I just rallied up a bunch of my close friends and people I care about who are in crypto already as well. And then domination finance came to be. Nice. Yeah, I remember the early days in crypto, too. I've definitely been there, like being the crypto person or the crypto guy, that one person that's investing in this magical Internet money that no one really understands. They kind of look at you like you're a little crazy. Um, Now it's it's completely different today. It's like you if you're you're working in this space, everyone wants to work with you. You're totally respected and everything. But it was funny, like, you know, five, six, seven years ago, even at the earliest. um, Yeah, especially when I was in college. Oh, honestly, man, like uh, it, it was it was really funny now looking back at all of it, too, because not only did people look at you like they were crazy, they looked at you like you were like, I know everyone throws around the word DGEN on like DeFi and crypto mm-hmm. Twitter. But uh, one, I don't think they know what a DGEN actually is. And two, everyone would look at you with like this sickly look of like, wow, like you just couldn't cut it in real finance. So that's why you like crypto for your easy game. And it's like all right, bro, like, that's not even what it's about. Flash forward now, now it's totally the opposite. Now it's like, wow, like, you couldn't get hired at MakerDAO or something or Coinbase? Like, I guess you got to settle for IB or be a dev. Yeah, I have people that used to um, ask me, like, are you okay? Like, is this really what you want to do? Like, um, are you struggling? Like, <laughs> I'm like, no, but I mean, you'll understand in five or 10 years, you know, that far much time has gone by. Now they're all like, Oh, can you help me like invest or can you give, give me a job in the space or um you know it's it's funny how much an industry can grow in a short period of time and you know people come around to it and how people are so short-sighted and seeing it early on too I, that's big biggest thing in crypto is a lot of people you know five six seven years ago they didn't really think much of it now it's like everything everyone wants something to do with it oh totally but i also don't really blame them for having that perspective because obviously people live different lives and they have different yeah. interests so when they first hear, see Bitcoin or crypto or anything, right? They just see, oh my gosh, like 
extremely volatile assets. Like I work a, a typical job, let's say they're at State Farm or they're a hairdresser or something, right? They're like, I don't have time to deal with this or understand it. Mm-hmm. Then they do go down the rabbit hole and they try to learn more. And there are plenty of scammers out there, either selling, you know, trash courses or telling people they're the crypto gurus and they need to buy their shit coin that they promote. Mm-hmm. They get burned and they get upset. Like it's like with the the whole face clan thing with the save the children, right? Like a lot of people got introduced introduced to that for two reasons. Number one, you know, face clan is a huge brand in gaming. Uh, I followed them when they actually made tricks hot videos and didn't just make house vlogs. Second thing too is uh, everything they were doing was on BSC and it's got much lower fees than Ethereum. So it gravitated a surge of normies who couldn't handle high gas fees. And when they all got burned on their first introduction to it, especially because it was framed as a charity, left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Oh yeah, oh yeah, totally. I mean, there's a lot of different entryways in the space too, and a lot of different ways people like normies and whatnot, you know, got in. Um, I want to talk about something really quickly though, because it's kind of like trending in the news today, and everyone kind of wants to talk about it, and that's China banning crypto and Bitcoin again for like what the fourth or fifth time. Um, I, we probably all have a very similar opinion on it. It's kind of stupid at this point. It's like, how, how much can they really ban it? Are they really going to ban it? It's it's getting to be really old news. Do you have any opinions on it? Uh, yeah, I've, I've got quite a few actually, right? Um, I mean, I think we all, like you said, we all share the same opinion. Uh, clearly, they were heavily involved into it. Uh, I know uh, Huobi Exchange and OKEX, who originally, uh, were originally based in China, had to move locations given like the, the ban they had a couple months ago, right? In like June or July. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know, like I'm I am under the strong impression that they just want to keep pushing out FUD to drive down the price so they can buy more. Right. Like they they're a very competitive nation. They want to be ahead of the curb, which any global superpower would want to be, whether the U.S., Russia or China. But um, yeah, I, I do think it's just general FUD and it's just the same old story. Bad news bears um, at the same time, too, you know, for people who are listening to this, who aren't aware that China routinely bans Bitcoin. If you need like a safety check on it, one of my favorite websites for this was always uh, bitcoinobituaries.com. I don't know if you're That's a good with one. The- yeah. Good one. <laughs> How many times have Bitcoin been considered or called dead? Called dead. I, I checked that list in like 2017 and it was like 250. So it's most definitely <laughs> got to be much bigger now. Oh, but nice. uh, yeah, um, a lot of the larger mining farms too were also based in China. And uh, plenty of venture capitalists, which I would know, I recently raised a seed round for domination. A lot of them are still alive and well in China and crypto is still definitely booming out there. So, yeah, no, it's just garbage FUD from a pretty sketchy government. Yeah. Do you think it uh, hurts innovation a little bit from the crypto perspective in China at all? Or do you think it's really just them trying to drive prices down so they can get into the market a lot lower? I think it does both, right? Like, obviously, it's an, it's an attempt to drive prices down. Um, I don't think anytime a price drops, it's very rarely for a single reason. That single reason could be a giant regulatory ban and not a fake one, but a real one. Like, let's say if the SEC finally found a way to lock its grasp on USDC and stable coins, right? Like that would I think that would personally nuke crypto pretty hard. Um, But uh, what I think it also does is when you brought up how it hurts innovation, if there are people in China who are interested in, you know, either becoming a Solidity developer or a Rust developer because they want to build on Solana, maybe instead of Ethereum, right? 
they see these things as they're learning through the, you know, their university track as a software engineer or on their own. And they're probably like, wow, like, I don't know, should, should I pin my future in this? Like, this seems kind of sketchy and, you know, having more transparency and less wishy-washy behavior and news and FUD consistently pushed out, you know, it's, it's never the way you want things to go. Yeah, not at all. It, it, it sucks for those that are in China and whatnot, and probably has ramifications across Asia. It's a huge opportunity for the U.S., though, and for, you know, Western society that wants to get into crypto. It's just unfortunate even here with uh, the crypto bill they're trying to pass in the U.S. and how that might even drive, you know, potential innovation outside of the U.S. back into maybe Europe or Latin America or some other places. So I don't know. It's it's kind of messy how governments are handling this right now. Oh, bro, it's well, some governance, right? Like El Salvador. Well, that one's a positive. Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know others, um, there was, there was another one too. I can't remember Maybe it was India or something, but I don't know. My, my biggest issue. Oh, Brazil. It's Brazil. 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 They're considering it heavily as potentially being, uh, classified as currency as well. So that would be huge because Brazil has a massive economy. No, definitely. I mean, they also have a lot of people, right? You know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, I guess, uh, my issue with the SEC and everything else happening in the U S and that regulatory front is uh, I always think back to the dot-com bubble. I've been, I mean, I was really young during that time, right? I'm 24 years old now. But um, if they really want to protect investors, which I, I understand, right? You know, the things like I talked about before, the, the whole face clan rug and things like that. What stopped from publicly traded securities plummeting to zero in the dot-com bubble? You know what I mean? Like what yeah. stopped those from being scams? What about Nikola, which is clearly a, a vaporware, trash, garbage, fake electric car company, right? Like sure. then you have things like Theranos, who's strange tons of venture. Then, oh no, it turns out Elizabeth Holmes is a psycho, you know? Like, mm-hmm. so I don't personally buy it. And the funniest thing about it too is they're going after stable coins the most because clearly they know a lot of these prices need to be pegged to something to hold some kind of value. And I find it very hard to believe that if someone is holding all of their cash in USDC, DAI, or any other stable they prefer, that they're at any kind of you know investment or financial risk. It's kind of silly. And if yeah. you look at it again, too, a lot of stable yield, at least in the DeFi world, reaches at least you know five to twelve percent, and it varies. And the highest yield banking account I probably saw in my life was about two point two percent, and that was reserved for Chase private clients. So. Normies are still gate kept out of that as well, unless they're a, a wealthy individual or an accredited investor. Yeah, well, the reason why they're going after the the stable coins is because they want to launch these CBDCs, especially in the U.S. Um, they've already given approval to the Fed to do so, and they, they want to be able to crack down on this now so that they don't have that competition. That's what China's been doing because they have theirs that just came out. The U.S. is trying to do the same thing. There's a number of other countries. Um, I don't think it's good for the space to come that down that hard on a stable coin because it's you know innovation on top of fiat being able to easily provide liquidity or easily get in and out, have an on ramp and off ramp in the space. And the last thing you want to do is crack down so hard on it that you know you you stifle that innovation. And stable coins are a huge huge part of that. So um, I really hope that they handle that delicately. Oh yeah. I mean, if you want to even get in the, the deeper conspiracy rabbit hole, right? Like who says the SEC aren't trying to lower prices for themselves either. You know, like, well, they've been insider trading the whole Ripple case. They found out that there were SEC officials um, that were insider trading or I don't know if it's insider trading, but they were definitely had um, a conflict of interest because they were trading Ripple based on what was going on 
And I think the judge denied Ripple the access to those documents, but it was, um, I don't know, that, that seemed like a big, um, what big about issue COVID? for me. What about COVID when basically all of Congress sold their stock positions? Right yeah, before, you know, COVID um, crushed everything. And then what, what bounced back very quickly? Gold and toilet paper and, and Bitcoin. Um, so it's very interesting how that all panned <clears> out. Oh, yeah. I think the most interesting chart, too, is when uh, you saw the, the rebound you talked about. If you look at the stock market pegged against USD, it was going mm -hmm. up. But if you look at the stock market pegged against gold, it was the total opposite chart. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes you think like, wait, are these actually rising in value or are we just like hitting the printer button harder and printing more dollars? Yeah, that's the thing that worries me about a, a digital US dollar or having a Fed coin or US stable coin. Uh, however they set that up, who knows what kind of monetary policy or tokenomics policy they set for that. It could be either really bad or it could be, um, you know, relatively decent. It's um, that's scary because they're not very bright sometimes on Capitol Hill. They're, 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 I mean, usually, typically they aren't. That's a big reason why I've been trying to get out of the U.S. for a while. Yeah. But at the same time, like, who's going to hold them accountable for what kind of collateral that's going to be required to mint these stable coins, right? Like, the great thing about, I mean, I can't comment too much on Tether, right? Sure. Tether is, you know, pretty sketch, and we, we can all agree on that. Yeah. But at least for USDC and DAI, any USDC or DAI in circulation has all been minted via collateral put in, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't. Like they can't just circle who's in charge of USDC. Can't just magically make more USDC. Same as uh, you know, Maker when it comes to minting DAI. Like you know, it's a it's a fully non-custodial uh, project. So it's purely dependent upon the collateral that's put in on the Maker DAO to make more DAI. Which is why I think it's interesting too, because if if USDC really does get the ban hammer hard, which I personally don't think they will, mm -hmm. they've gone above and beyond to be as regulated and transparent as possible. But um, die would then be the clear winner because of what are you going to do? It's a smart contract. They're yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a degree to how much they can actually crack down on stable coins. But some of them got some incredible backing. You put like Tether aside, USDC, um, True Coin or whatever it's called. Um, they have a few of them. They got very, they're very well backed. They got money in the bank, and some of them have assets behind them. And they got very good institutions like Coinbase or Paxos, for example. So I think in the long term, those will be fine. Um, it's, it's stuff like Tether that, you know, does have me worried because there really isn't much behind it and you're, it's kind of just air. So I, we'll see what happens. No, totally. I mean, Tether keeps getting deferred too whenever, you know, they get asked to show their, like, their, their collateralizations and it keeps getting deferred or pushed back. And as someone who loves crypto and also loves the craziness involved of all the mm -hmm. wild stuff happening, you know, I kind of wish that, you know, bigger institutions like Bitfinex who are in charge of Tether, right? When, you know, whole things like that, because it kind of does make it a little more rough for everyone who is trying yeah. to do the right thing. Yeah. If someone doesn't figure it out now, unfortunately, you're going to have like a Facebook or a Google step in with a huge dollar balance sheet that's going to do their own. And we all know that that's what they're doing. Um, oh, yeah. And that, that's the last thing we want is a stable coin because and then all your privacy is gone completely. Oh, um, totally. So hopefully they figure it out. Anyways, I do want to talk about domination finance as well. So what are you guys doing there in, um, in terms of dominating finance? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Of um, course. Best part about the project is the name. We all think it's super cool. So thank you. Mm -hmm. But um, You're welcome. I appreciate it. Uh, jokes aside, though, um, I don't know. Um, we all thought that dominant metrics were really important. 
So what we did at Domination Finance is we created a decentralized exchange that allows you to speculate and trade market dominance instead of market price for a suite of assets. So all of our derivatives and pairs that we have live for trading right now, which is three of them, are all custom in-house suite derivatives. And I believe you can trade them elsewhere on some custodial exchanges, but it's not, it's not entirely the same. And I'll kind of go down the rabbit hole as to why. But uh, currently we offer three derivatives to trade, like I said, Bitcoin dominance, Ethereum dominance, and USDT dominance. Uh, we do definitely plan on launching more as well, especially once we get governance up and running. I really want the community to take the mantle and decide what we want to create. The sky is also the limit for us because we're built on UMA protocol and they have their own open Oracle system. So essentially how we create a derivative is we get a price feed. Currently we use CoinGecko. Uh, they're one of our investors and probably the second party that we talked to ever as an organization. Uh, we talked to Bobby and TM, their founders, let them know what our mission was. And they actually um, went on a engineering sprint internally within CoinGecko entirely for us. So they basically chopped up their API, gave us as much dominance metrics as they had now. And if you look at their website about a year ago, if you scroll on each asset, you'll notice that um, it didn't really have that like market dominance of whatever, of whatever coin you're looking at, the top 100 or top 200. Mm-hmm. Now they do. And I, that was mostly because we talked to them and we said this is an important metric. <clears throat> but yeah, so like, why is this important? Well, I mean, Bitcoin dominance has been probably the most used indicator or metric since about 2013 and the birth of alts next to Bitcoin, right? So like, what's the same old story? Bitcoin dominance is high by alts. Bitcoin dominance is low by Bitcoin, right? And that's probably my favorite trading tool and a few others out there. And a lot of people do argue on what's the real Bitcoin dominance and what isn't. The biggest argument I typically hear is, oh, well, you can't include stable coins in the Bitcoin dominance because they don't fluctuate. I don't particularly agree because, you know, if it's got a market cap and it's up there, it's part of the crypto market, whether you like it or not, even if Mm -hmm. it's stable. And that does matter for the market dominance or total market share of Bitcoin. So, yeah, so we wanted to make that tradable uh, for two reasons. Number one, uh, I definitely want to get more institutions into DeFi. And there's only a few ways for them to really feel comfortable doing that. One of which is conservative yield farming on their on their stables or, I guess, blue chips they like, whether that can be SNX, Aave, Uma, or anything else, or Ethereum as it is. Or they need a reliable tra- uh, trading instrument to make sure that they're not totally going to get run, right? So the reason why I think it's such a good institutional tool is that it's traded zero to 100, right? You're trading a percentage. So we like to call ourselves internally bear market proof as a product, right? Not a token. And if you look at DeFi, most of the instruments, if not 99.9% of them, are only really viable in a bull market scenario. If we take a vault or a yield farm, for example, right? Let's say your APY averages around 19 to 25% in your yield farm you got, right? If a, if a bear market comes around, that 22% might become 1%, 2%, or even yield negative rates, which is called a permanent loss. I don't know. If, I'm sure you're familiar with impermanent loss, but I don't know if your viewers are familiar with that. No, you can uh, explain it, though, if you want to. I'll happily explain it. So this is what, this is what happens. So... Most yield rates in DeFi and why they're so high is because they have token rewards. These token rewards are also known as liquidity mining. 
So I'll give you an example on a DEX, right? Let's say you have any standard DEX. Most DEXs take all the trading fees made and we put them into the liquidity pool. Anyone can stake liquidity or add collateral to the liquidity pool to keep on both sides of the trade, right? So on Uniswap, for example, this fee is 0.3%. That entire 0.3% goes to everyone who stakes collateral in the liquidity pool. On top of that, some DeFi instruments and products add something called liquidity mining, where they incentivize you to add liquidity to their products instead of somebody else's. How do they do this? On top of giving you the trading fees of people using the instrument, they also reward you in tokens, right? Some of these may give you one token, two, three, and I guess the best way to find the good ones, it's not the amount of tokens they offer you, but it's what tokens they're offering you, right? If you find a yield farm that has, you know, a, a triple token reward and they're all the top 50 or top 75 market cap, that's a steal. That's something you can definitely rely on for at least the midterm, right? If you want to take it conservatively, to give you some decent yield over anything else. The ones you got to watch out for are the ones that offer like 200,000% APY with 13 different tokens. Excuse me. And you look at each token, you're like, wow, it's like top 1000 in crypto and it's got like 4000 in its own liquidity pool so if some whale came in and started yield farming first and they decided to exit and dump all those you know shady token rewards everyone's yield goes from really up here all the way down there and if you get in the pool after that or right before that dump typically what happens is you start to yield in permanent loss because most of the apy or most of the yield you earn from that pool is coming from the token rewards and not the actual usage of the product itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. So back to domination, uh, one of our biggest missions is to make a consistent instrument that is viable in a bear market or a bull market scenario, right? As we talked about with yield farms and vaults in a bear market, if that comes, a lot of those yield numbers are going to drop like a rock. The beautiful thing about dominance anything, right, especially with domination finance is the crypto market as a whole, BTC, ETH, Ripple, ADA, whatever you like to hold, whatever you you know you fly with, they could all be half the price tomorrow, and it's still very possible that dominance could be the same. You're trading yeah, the- up the edge of the market, exactly. So everything could be totally down in the toilet, but Bitcoin dominance is still able to be traded long or short on domination finance. Um, we also have a very long vest with our entire cap table and our investors, same as the team. Uh, we have a six-month cliff and a three-year vest. So we're all here for the long run and sculpting nice. up a beautiful product. Nice. Yeah, for those that are interested um, in understanding what uh, dom- dominance is in terms of crypto, it's um, when you have one coin by percentage, um, you know, dictating its market cap a lot higher than, you know, the other coins out there. So it's not measured in price. It's measured in, you know, market cap relatively in percentage market cap um well that's interesting though i haven't heard that take before i mean i don't know it's it's really it's it's really funny because like when we were all sitting down together we were like man like why has no one done this yet you know like no but it's important though i i I used (laughs) to look at it too and you know when you look at dominance there's actually some really good um, you know, curves on there that show like the different bull and bear cycles in the market and you can get a good um, three to six months idea of, you know, what direction the market might be going based on where the dominances of Bitcoin relative to other 
crypto is like when you're going to see a huge spike in the, the altcoin market and have an alt season. Um, usually you see Bitcoin dip in dominance towards the other coins and you see spikes. Yeah. Um, you've seen it a few times and usually that comes towards the tail end of a bull market or at the end of at least Bitcoin's bull market cycle. So there's a lot you can look at there that I think people kind of miss and glance over. So it's definitely a good metric. That's why we wanted to make it tradable directly. You know, instead of like hedging, like you said, like instead of hedging for alt season by buying a bunch of alts when BTC DOM is high, you can just short it if it's high directly mm -hmm. on our product. Yeah. So, and um, even when prices go down too, like when there's uncertainty globally in the markets, like in stock market and commodities, you know, what's going to happen to the economy? You have COVID pandemic. Usually you see Bitcoin separate in dominance because the money is generally flowing back into Bitcoin. Even if prices are down, Bitcoin dominance usually goes up. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you see bull market coming, it usually tightens. So I don't know. It's a very good metric. And I think a lot of people glance over it. Um, so is that what you would say is the most um, the thing that separates you guys the most in from all the other, um, you know, swaps out there, all the other. Um, uh, what do you call it? So many uh, terms. AMMs. 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 Yeah, it's we, we're separated mostly on originality of our derivative types. Okay. Um, our, I guess our, our functionality and use cases, regardless of market conditions. Uh, I guess the thing I'm excited for the most too, is because the sky's the limit with what we can do with the derivative types. So it doesn't even have to be as basic as Bitcoin dominance or ETH dominance. They can get really exotic where we can do something like, you know, you know, a centralized exchange versus decentralized exchange trading volume dominance. Right. And you could right. have that as a tradable metric or. This would definitely not be allowed, but I think it'd be really cool is we can go in the traditional world, too, and say like, oh, well, uh, we can do, you know, Activision dominance of the video game industry and their market caps or Tesla dominance of the automobile market. That'd be interesting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It really depends on what, uh, you know, our users and our community wants to have. We're here. We're listening. So in the future, expect a lot more derivatives to be traded as well. Um, I'll also mention that we are live mobile and desktop on Ethereum and Polygon. So if you're an ETH maxi and love the ETH ecosystem, you can trade all of our derivatives on Ethereum. And if you want the lower fees, it's available on Polygon as well. Cool. Can you do this on mobile? Yes, you can. Got it. What do you need to do it on mobile? Do you need like MetaMask or something or a plugin? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you still need a Web 3.0 wallet, right? So okay. um, what, I, when I test it on mobile to see you know, the various builds we make and make sure everything's working properly, I like to use MetaMask Mobile, Argent, MetaMask Mobile and Argent. Those are the two I particularly like to use, actually. The other Web3 mobile mobile wallets still struggle with, I guess, two key areas. Number one, um, keeping track of LP tokens, right? Because if you enter pools and want to see what LP tokens you have, it's kind of hard to see what's going on sometimes, and they're not quite familiar. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing I, I usually struggle with on mobile Web3 wallets is switching networks, right? Yeah. So like you either need to be like really in tune with it to understand how to do it. Whereas I'm like your desktop MetaMask, you just click the top, you see the scroll down, mm -hmm. you select your network and you're ready to roll. Yeah, it's, it's very easy on, on desktop because it just pops into your Chrome browser, pops up, you click it and you're good. Um, I'm not sure how it works on mobile. I actually haven't tried it, um, which I, I feel like I should have at this point being this into the crypto space. But I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot and see what that's like. And I've had Arjun on the podcast too. They got a, they got a great wallet as well. They're a fantastic team and they have an excellent product. Um, like that was, we actually took some inspiration from Arjun as well. 
as to like prioritizing mobile, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because um, what was their uh, what was their marketing slogan? A DeFi and a touch. Yeah. Is what it is, right? Yeah. DeFi and a touch. Class. Um, I, I really liked how they integrated everything. So we also wanted to make sure that we had a very attractive user interface for all of our users. If you're targeting, I guess, not even normies, but new people in the space who aren't maybe familiar with actually playing with DeFi instruments instead of just hodling in their coin base, you need to make sure it's a smooth, you know, frictionless experience that looks attractive to the eye. And we also went above and beyond to make sure we did that as well. I guess um, the second inspiration for that as well would probably be Exodus Wallet. Uh, my other co-founder, yeah. My other co-founder, Michael Symbolisti, actually worked at Exodus before he came on and worked with us for Domination Finance. So uh, that was awesome. And their CEO, JP Richardson, is also on our cap table. Is one of our we, We've had him on the podcast too. Another great. Really interesting. Yeah, we've had both Arjun and Exodus on the podcast. Exodus, I think, this past spring. Um, we actually had a conversation, I think, on the previous episode we did um, on, on mobile specifically with blockchain and how there's actually not enough um you know use cases actually for mobile yet which is kind of surprising you know other than i use like bitpay and coinbase um mm -hmm. on my phone and that's about it like why aren't we developing dApps for the phone like isn't that the whole direction like why aren't we doing DeFi on our phone why aren't we trading CryptoPunks on our phone why why aren't we going that direction yet i think that's one area that we've gone very slow and I, that's kind of the future of blockchain. You're going to build all these decentralized applications. Don't you want ease of use? Everyone in the world has a smartphone. There's like twice as many smartphones than people in the world. Um, more, more people have a smartphone than they do, you know, anything else technologically, even in impoverished countries. Um, I think that's the direction it's got to go. Bro, you're telling me, man, like uh, we actually got a lot of crap in the crypto space because we've, we still haven't launched a token, right? But yeah. um you know, we got a lot of flack for it where it's like, wow, you guys don't even have a, a tradable shit token yet, but you're, you're too busy dorking around or making a mobile version. And I was like, long game. Long no, the next big steps mobile. It's going to onboard so many more people because, I mean, who has time to get on their computer? Like, unless you got time like me or maybe you, I mean, everyone's I mean, got a phone. about it too. Like you said, impoverished countries, that was like the, the biggest mm -hmm. big brain, you know, comment in that direction, right? Like if you, particularly in Asia, right? Like a mm -hmm. lot of people... Owning a desktop or a laptop computer is very expensive. Like when they play their StarCraft, League of Legends, or Overwatch, or any other PC game they like, that's why internet cafes are so popular. So yeah. everybody's on their phone. So that was the biggest reason why we didn't want to focus on one network and make our application as cross-chain as possible, which we're still working diligently on, and there's more networks to come soon. But um, Polygon was, a, I guess, a, a knock out of the park for us because we were like, man, like, if everyone in Asia, which a lot of our marketing efforts are focused over there, is on their phone, they're going to need low fees. Because mm -hmm. let's say they do get their hands on a Trezor or a different hardware wallet. Most of your money, if not all of your crypto holdings, are most definitely not going to be on your phone. Mm -hmm. Right? So they're going to be playing with less. If they're playing with less, they're going to want less fees. And if they have less fees, they're going to need a mobile experience like right away, you know. It's another reason yeah. why I like web apps too, because you don't need to like, you know, make sure it's not banned in the app store of your country or whatever. Like you just load up the URL and it's there. Yeah, I, I think personally one of the biggest things will drive people to do this stuff more on their mobile devices is one, being able to mint, create, and trade NFTs more directly on your phone without having to use a, a desktop because it's just it'd be so much simpler. You could just take a picture of something or you could just 
have something on your phone, simply upload it, edit it from there, and, and have a whole experience like you do social media, and then a decentralized social media, um, which I think is coming very, very quickly. That stuff will probably drive a lot more innovation to the phone. Definitely. I know. I, I just think, uh, I mean, it's definitely picking up steam now. Um, I remember in DeFi summer of 2020, when I was playing around with Argent and I was mm -hmm. trying to use various dApps that they didn't have integrated at the time. They have a much larger suite now, but when they came out, they had like a vault, a DAX and a few other lenders. Back then I would be like, all right, well, it's not offered on Argent. Let's see what I can do. Scroll around, go on Uniswap mobile or balancer or even sushi. And I was like, man, what, what the hell am I looking at right now? Like none of this is formatted. So yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think uh, more attention is definitely coming that way in the future. And everyone I've spoken to as well, when we were raising our venture capital round, that was the thing that made their eyes light up the most. It was like the, the long-term play, vision, invest. And they were like, oh, mobile, it's coming. And we're like, oh, no, it's here. Like, you can do it right now. And they were like, Whoa. Yeah, that'll be the next massive wave in this space is mobile. Um, let me ask one more question, and then we'll kind of start to wrap up. Sure. What are your thoughts on um, you know, AMMs, DeFi, stuff like that um, going into, oh, sorry, cut out for a second. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, sorry, cut out for just a second. I'll repeat the question. Um, what do you think, what are your thoughts on you know, AMMs, DeFi, stuff like that, you know, going into the rest of this fall? Ooh, that's a complicated From an in innovation perspective, but, uh, I guess. Okay. Uh, I guess for starters, um, you know, apologies. It's gonna no worries. But yeah, I mean, um, I guess we already talked about cross-chain, right? You know, like, obviously, there's a lot of copycat AMMs and DeFi instruments out there. You know, like, uh, Sabre is the curve of Solana, mm -hmm. right? You know, and, like, everyone has their balancer equivalent and everyone has their uni equivalent. Um, I think people who incentivize cross-chain as much as possible and, mo and also on top of that, uh, more token rewards are definitely going to have the steam in the short term and the long run. But eventually, it's going to be down to market usage and not just plopping down collateral, hoping for a shiny token, right? Because if you're going to have these DeFi instruments still be crypto native and not easily understood by everyone else, who knows if their usage will keep up? I remember the biggest reason why DeFi took off in general in DeFi summer was uh, there was a lot of Americans holding crypto and they were like, man, like I can't use like actual Binance anymore. Now we have Binance US and Binance US sucks. Like I don't want to deal with Binance US. So, oh, wow, look at Uniswap over here. I'll, you know, I'll put up with an interface that is, you know, pretty simple. And Uniswap wasn't really a, you know, difficult in that direction. But a few other ones aren't particularly the easiest to understand. So I don't really see a lot of innovation happening in the AMM space. I see a lot of innovation happening in the layers on tops of AMMs. So for example, uh, Domination Finance has QuickSwap and Uniswap V2 in our backend for our liquidity pools. So mm -hmm. that's how we're very cross-chain because most of our code is actually routing code to a lot of Rust, a lot of CSS, a lot of JavaScript so that we can port to various AMNs and be an application layer on top of that, right? So I think we're leaving the era of protocol layers and we're entering the era of application layers, right? So teams or AMNs that get more people to build on top of their stuff are gonna be the most successful long run. 
right? So like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I definitely have a lot of faith in, you know, Curve, any of the Ethereum L1 products, because, you know, it's tried and true, high gas fees or not, it's always going to keep up and running, unlike, you know, Solana recently. But uh, yeah, dude, it's 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 mostly uh, application layers built on top of them, because uh, I guess to get the more people into DeFi and to keep pumping the TVL across the board, we need to stop targeting people within crypto to use our product over someone else's. And we need to start targeting people who don't know crypto at all and say, hey, here's DeFi. Go. Right. Right. Yeah, so. it, it's going to be very interesting. Um, I love DeFi. I think it's a fantastic niche within blockchain. I think they're doing great things. I think they're really pushing the envelope on what finance can be and what can what it can do. Um, so I really hope that there's nothing in terms of regulations that really stifle that. Um, but very excited for it. It's it's going to be fun to see where it goes in the next couple of years. Oh yeah, I'm stoked. Um, where can people go to learn more about domination finance? You guys have a community like a discord or telegram yeah. you have a blog. Where should people go? Yeah. So, um, uh, we have a Twitter as well. It's at domination Fi. but, uh, yeah. the Twitter is going to direct you to two places. It's going to be either our discord or also our website. Um, so I, I definitely recommend if you already know our Twitter and I see it down there at the bottom. I see the it's, it's scrolling. It's scrolling. It's scrolling. It's, scrolling. <laughs> it's on the move. It's on the move. Also, if you go to my Twitter, it's, I've added it in my bio, so it's easily accessible. But our website is called uh, info.domination.finance, and that'll take you to our info page. From our info page, we have an FAQ. We have a doc section. Uh, you can see the entire team, our cap table, our investors, and there's also multiple links directing to our product. So like, people should be able to find just about everything from the info page. But um, if people are less interested in that and want to go straight to the exchange itself, the URL is just domination.finance. Perfect. Um, I'll be sure to put all that stuff in the description for the episode as well so they can easily find it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's scrolling on the bottom so they'll see it a billion times throughout the, throughout the episode. Anyways, Adrian, thank you for taking the time to come on today. Really appreciate it. Really diving into what you guys are doing with Domination Finance. Um, very interesting stuff too. Very interesting take on you looking at um, Bitcoin dominance, crypto dominance, and you know playing the markets that way. Um, and uh, we'd love to have you again on in the future too. Oh, bro, I, I think you're a chill dude, Brandon. I'll happily come I on appreciate again. it. Thank you so much. Made my day. <laughs> Anyways, have a great weekend. Stay on for just a second and um, otherwise talk to you soon. Gotcha. No problem.